This is the War Room Roundtable podcast, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and relevant businessmen and women on the planet. Hear their stories and get the most important business lessons they've learned on the road to success and get exclusive advice on how to implement their successes into your life and business. The War Room Roundtable is brought to you by your hosts, Jason Miller, CEO of Strategic Advisor Board, and Philip Llanos, CEO of Own the Rhythm, and former podcast host for Entrepreneur and Inc. Magazine. Well, hey, Susan, welcome to the War Room. It's glad to have you here on the roundtable with me and Philip. Um, thank you for taking the time to come spend a little bit of time with us today. Thanks for the invite. Awesome. Yes. Philip, no, it's, all, it's all you. Yeah. Thank you. It's really great to have <laughs> you here, Susan. We've had nothing but good energy even before we hit record. Uh, so we know it's going to be a treat for the listeners because uh, that's what it's about, right? People who can have a conversation. And I think. One of the best places to start, it's my favorite place to go first, uh, especially when talking to entrepreneurs, is, Susan, do you yourself come from a family of entrepreneurs? Actually, I do. So you could say that my entrepreneurship is a genetic uh, disability or ability or whatever. My <laughs> father uh, ran his own company in the printing lithographing machinery. He worked for his brother and other people, and he realized that none of them were running their businesses well, and he thought... I can do this better myself. And so he had his own company in Chicago for over 50 years. And my sister started a music school in Chicago and uh, ran that for 30 years. And now she's retired from that. My older brother uh, started a company. He's a physicist by training and they were trying to invent something and they invented something else by mistake. And that became a company. And so, uh, I guess I'm destined to be an entrepreneur and it's been 35 years and it's, I've had a blast. It's been really fun. It's not always a blast. There's some, there's some <laughs> darker moments, but if I look at the whole trajectory, it's been, it's been a great adventure. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I always say that there's no higher calling for a human being than entrepreneurship because it's, it's all in everything all at once, just out yeah. there on the field. Uh, and I have to ask, so you're in consulting, right? Yes. How did you get here? Was it a choice you made? Because obviously your family's entrepreneurs, but did you go no, to college it, route and then go? It to was a total accident. I'd worked for other people and I was in a job where I'd learned a lot, but my brain had started to atrophy because I was doing the same thing over and over again. And I went to my boss and said, please give me something with the word new in front of it. And he said, well, I got six more months of this signed up for you because you're really doing a great job. And something inside my head and my heart just died. And I came home and I said to my husband, as soon as we refinance our house, I'm giving notice. And he, he got nervous because he's self-employed in another field. And I was the one with paid benefits. <laughs> and he said, well, what will you do? And I said, don't worry, dear. I won't be self-employed. Somebody needs a predictable check and, and you know, benefits. And give me a month off. I'm going to read a bad book and file our taxes and maybe go to the beach. And then I will have an identity crisis and decide what to do. And I never went to the beach. I'm pretty sure I filed my taxes. But um, <laughs> in that month, three people called me and said, until you get a real job, will you do this project? And I said, sure, I'm unemployed. Pay me and I'll show up. And one thing led to another. And six months later, somebody said, so how long have you had your consulting practice? And I went like this. 
Are you talking to me? <laughs> and and I, I mean, the whole thing was so unconscious. I didn't have a business plan. I didn't know how to write a business plan. I was just depositing checks from projects. And I thought, oh, I guess I'm earning a living. So do as I say, not as I do. I mean, when when young entrepreneurs come to me now and say, tell me how you started your business and what were your goals and what was your business plan? The answer is I didn't have any. And I was lucky. Um, and so it, it's evolved. Initially, I was doing mostly management training and it evolved into more consulting and executive coaching. So no, I didn't have a plan. And no, I don't have an MBA. I have other degrees, but not an MBA. Wow. I think there has to be, I mean, if you think about, did you see any of this growing up, uh, your, your own parents, like having to have the conversations you had with, with uh, your husband and talking about what are we going to do? Was any of that, do you think there's any influence there or, or was it really just a thing that you found yourself in this situation as you've illustrated and just decided, you know what, I'm going to run with it. And then at some point when you start making conscious decisions about it, how does that change the way you view what you're doing? Okay, that was about three great questions, Philip. Did I look at the experience of my family? No, because I don't think I thought about it when I was watching them be self-employed. I went to college, I had some jobs, I had a career plan, and it never occurred to me that I would be an entrepreneur. So no, I don't think that influenced me. And I think your words were, you found yourself in a situation. And that's one characteristic of me, and I think it's important for entrepreneurs, is to be willing to take risks. There's one psychological uh, inventory that I've used, the Colby inventories. And one of the measure, measures is how willing are you to take risks? And people who are, and, and that doesn't mean foolish risk, but willing to jump in with both feet before you exactly know how deep the pond is and whether your shoes are waterproof or not, that sort of thing. And I'm willing to jump in and then step back and say, now, what did I just jump into and what do I want to do with this? And I think for the, the folks that, that I've worked with and that I've known who need structure and predictability um, and guarantees, it's really hard for them to be an entrepreneur. Somebody said to me when I went out on my own, but you have no job security. And at the time, uh, large corporations in the Denver area like Coors and Gates Rubber and others were laying off masses of people, the phone company. And I said, job security, talk to people in these industries, in these companies, ask them if they have any job security. And the answer is no. I mean, there are times when I try to fire myself when I'm having a bad day, but my office manager points out that that's a bad idea. So I rescind the, the firing. Um, so I, I think it's it's a willingness to take some risks, some calculated risks. I mean, when I decided to go out on my own, I didn't go rent an expensive office suite. It was like, well, let me just put a few toes in and see where this goes. And then you build on that. Wow. You do such a good job of sort of directing anything I asked. And I think that's a, a, a sign of just the way you do your consulting. It, you've got this active listening, the same thing I do when I'm interviewing. And active listening is so key to being able to bounce back what people need. Do you, do you find that in your consulting, there are certain qualities that make you more qualified for it than other people, aside from being able to take risks? 
It's interesting you say that because someone said to me yesterday, a friend said, you know, you're really a good listener. And I found that to be a very uh, important compliment to me because I couldn't do what I do as a consultant or a coach if I didn't listen well and I didn't observe well and I didn't know how to ask good questions. I sometimes refer to myself as the question queen of Southeast Denver because I ask a ton of questions. And people often say to me, and I hope this doesn't sound arrogant, but people say, that's really a good question. And I want to say, well, thank you. I baked it myself, you know. And so it's <laughs> it, it, whether you're a consultant or an engineer or an artist or an interviewer for Entrepreneur, Entrepreneur Magazine or whatever you're doing, I believe people need to learn how to listen and observe. It's part of emotional intelligence. Do I notice what's going on? I was talking the other day about a dynamic that was in a meeting where someone was acting out and she was basically running off on the mouth, just just wouldn't stop talking and wasn't noticing that the people around the room were rolling their eyes and fidgeting. They'd had enough of what she needed to say. And had she had, and this person was saying, how can we coach her? I said, she needs to learn some emotional intelligence. She needs to be aware of her own anxiety that makes her overshare. And she needs to be aware of the cues from other people when they're not responding well to what she's doing or saying. And so I really believe that regardless of your field and your career, the ability to listen, the ability to pay attention is critical. And I, I sort of think of it on a continuum. On one end of the continuum, if I'm too submissive, I'm like a doormat. And I say, yes, sir, whatever you say, sure, fine. The other end of the continuum, I'm too aggressive and I'm walking on the doormat with big, nasty, muddy boots. Somewhere in the middle, and it's hard to find that sweet spot in the middle, how can I be strong about my own needs and my own views without stomping on you? It's, it's very hard. It's a, it's a delicate balance. How do I, I guess part of the balance is how do I pay attention to the results we're trying to get in this company or on this team, but also pay attention to the people? And many people can do one or the other, and they have trouble focusing on both. This is why we call it the war room, because that exact tactic, I imagine Jason is very familiar with observing and being present, being, you know, having there's it's an interesting thing to have those parallels of like uh, things in business that work in business also happen to work with staying alive. When you're out in the field, it's it's very do you have anything to say on that, Jason, at all? Well, I mean, I've always said business is war, right? I mean, it's like its own little small hostile takeover half the time, right? So, and, you know, I always used to tell my my oldest daughter, she's 27. And when I was a young father, I was 16. And I remember trying to teach her as a child, raising a child, basically, right? about listening. And the only thing I could think of at the time was, okay, let me quote what Webster's dictionary says to pay attention in order to hear. That is the definition of listening. It's I've stuck with me for 27, 25 years, ever since I've talked about it. Right. And that, but it's so true, right? You know, listening is such an active component of everything we do. And you have to, 
you have to be a good follower before you'll ever be a good leader. Absolutely true. And if you can't follow, you'll never, ever lead. And I, I took that, that shouldn't even really need to be a lesson, but I took that lesson away from, you know, 20 plus years in the military where I hit every level of leadership there was to hit, right? Led was the leader, had been led, no matter what, you report to somebody. In business, we just report to our customer, right? So we're never fully in charge, right? right. And and what I always like to say to, to like young people when it comes to, uh, we, I mean, you and I have like really parallel thought process <laughs> for sure. Um, because I told a group of people on less last Friday, I said, you know, stop planning and leap, leap, take a leap, take a leap and stop planning because you're planning yourself to failure. (laughs) That is a thing. You can literally plan to failure. Right. Um, and you know, I've had a lot of people come from that event from Friday and be like, oh, that was the, the best thing I ever could have did was just instead of overthinking it, just, you know, like a Nike commercial, just do it. Right? Yeah. And, <laughs> and again, it, Jason, I think it's a balance between some people jump in and do it yeah. without any thinking. Sure. And some people think themselves into a pretzel and can't yeah. ever get to any action. Yeah. Um, there, Jason, you're probably familiar with it. Maybe uh, Philip with uh, David Cooperider, who came up with the the process called appreciative inquiry. Mm-hmm. And his oh, notion it's a very different paradigm for addressing problems. Mm-hmm. And instead of saying what's broken in this organization or this team or this relationship and how do I fix it, you start with questions like, "When was a time when you felt really good about working with a customer?" And what did you do in that relationship or in that project? And why was it successful? And what would really ring your chimes right now as you look forward to the next relationship or this project that's in front of us? What would really make you want to come to work every day? And then how can you leverage your past successes and what excites you to deal with what's not working? You're still dealing with the problems, but you're there's a basic concept in psychology, you get more of what you focus on. So if I only look at the problems or I only look at the planning, that's all I'm going to get more of. As opposed to saying what I'd really like to be doing with this company or this project is X. And that would make me want to come to work in the morning. How do I leverage my strengths and my past successes and collect the right people around me to help me get there? Oh, yeah. wow. I love that. Yeah, I can totally use that today. <laughs> no, no, it's powerful stuff. Uh, so re- getting back to the mainland here. So you've got the consulting company. You, you know, it just happened to you when you're running. At some point, you're consciously choosing to grow it, I'm imagining. Is this accurate? And. And I made decisions along the way. Did I want to add a lot of people? And the answer was no, I wanted to stay flexible. Some people want to grow a whole team around them. And I chose not to do that. That was a very conscious choice. And I would hire colleagues on a contract basis when 
their skills and the nature of the contract called for it. But it kept me nimble and it kept me flexible. And where is it? I have to just show you the latest project is the book I just published called Harmony at Work. And it's, it's, it's really a summary of what I've done for 35 years, trying to put it together in a, in a cogent way that it's a resource for people. Because again, regardless of your industry, I could be the most brilliant IT person, or I could be the most brilliant MBA, or I could be the most brilliant physician. But if I don't know how to manage the relationships of the people around me, unless I work in a fire tower in the forest and don't talk to anyone for months, (laughs) no matter how smart I am intellectually and in my field, if I can't manage relationships well, I have little or no chance of succeeding. And most of the people, when I'm hired as a coach and someone is sort of dragged by the collar by their boss, fix them, they don't know how to get along with people. They're often brilliant in their field and they annihilate people around them. So what are the tools you need in order to manage those relationships effectively? And so it's been really fun to put it together in a book and I'm starting to market it and things like that. And it's just, it's pun, sorry, next chapter in my work about, um, I hadn't thought about that. I don't know if I'll read it again, but you know, how do I use the book Harmony at Work? And, and somebody said, why did you use, it uses music as a metaphor to explain how relationships evolve. And somebody said, why did you do that? I said, well, first of all, I love music. It's been a part of big part of my life. And secondly, there are a bazillion books on relationships and how do I make this one different? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of fun. I, I, tried to interject some humor and a lot of anecdotes and a lot of examples and then exercises at the end of each chapter that people can here try this for this set of skills so it's been fun to try and put what i do in person um into a book ah i love it the idea of music as a metaphor you're talking about like the the triad and you know, there's certain notes you hit. I, I can already almost imagine what it is you're talking about. It's a really exciting prospect for a book. I'll have to check it out. Philip is a little bit of a rock star too. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> What's your instrument? There was a past life where I was a singer from Telemundo to everything else. And TV. Okay, and so Philip, we got to sing together. That would make me. I would love that. Karaoke, first of all, is my favorite pastime. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Even though I do it sober, it is definitely not for any, like there was no dark past. Or well, anything. see, if you're sober when you're doing karaoke, then you're looking at all the people in the audience who are not. It changes <laughs> the uh, experience a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They think you're a rock star and start throwing twenty dollar bills. Out. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. There, there's something freeing about music. In fact, I, I would go so far as to say it was what allowed. It was the social capital I fell into that allowed me to connect with people first before I was fully comfortable with myself. Yeah. And you know, it goes a long way to towards what I imagine you help people do in business is you help them see the label on the jar and sort of get them close to that truth. And so I'd, li- I'd love to know, now that we know you've established, you're working with, with uh, businesses to do that and, and change leadership change and all that. Do, do you have any goals specifically outside of the book that you're currently trying to pursue and maybe meeting some, some challenges along the way? I'm trying to look at 
what the next uh, what the next step is from my work and my business, and I don't have a good answer yet. The question bubble is still over my head. I'm good at helping other people set goals, but you know the cobbler's children always go barefoot, and so so busy <laughs> working with everybody else's goals that I've I've given it some thought, but I haven't sat myself down and had a serious strategic planning meeting with myself or some of my colleagues. Yeah. Um, and to figure out what I want to do at this point in my life that's still useful to other people and challenging to me. I like to always be learning. One of the reasons I left my job uh, before I started my company was I was bored. I I was I had one of those out-of-body experiences where I was in front of a whole group of people and I was leading a seminar and I knew I was talking because I could feel my lips moving and I had no idea what I was saying. And I must have been making sense because they were taking notes and raising their hand and engaging me in conversation. And I was not home. And I I called a break and looked at my calendar to figure out where I was, what the topic was and what day it was. It was really scary. And and that's when I asked my boss for something new and he basically said no. So, Uh So the last 35 years, I've gotten to change it up enough, even though there are themes that run through my work. And the people that my colleagues that I've worked with and the clients that I've worked with, there's been enough variety that I've not been bored. So I'm trying to figure out what's next. That's the goal is to figure out what's next. I get it. I'm an ENFP if we were to go by. My oh, oh, we're kindred spirits, Phil. Yeah, kindred yeah. Spirits. I figured. I figured. <laughs> you outed me. I love it. I love I it. Figured. I figured. What's what Jason? was that? What is Jason? I don't know him well enough. Oh, yeah. I don't know if uh, Jason, have you taken the Myers Briggs test ever? It's a it's like a hundred question, sometimes 60 I don't know. I, I took one of them and it said uh I had a commander personality. Okay, yeah, that's the one. That so four yeah. quick questions. Philip, yep. we're gonna figure it out right now. Jason, okay. are mm-hmm. you more are you more extroverted or introverted? Uh extroverted for sure. Okay. Do you Focus when you're gathering information, do you focus more on details and specifics or the big picture and the future possibilities? Big picture and f- future, for sure. Philip, we're going to like him. Do you make decisions based on logical, rational criteria or relationships and situations and emotions? Ooh, that's a tough one because that could be a 50 50 either way. Um, okay. I would say more on the relationship side, probably. Right. And how do you organize if I'm I'm going to make a guess based on the emails I've gotten from you, but how do you organize your work life and your personal life? Are you pretty structured and you finish one thing and you go to the next? Or do you like to leave it a looser structure and sort of improvise and go with the flow? Complete chaos. Philip, he's another one. ENFP. Yeah. We can all get along. I love it. Yeah. I love operating in chaos, but I love structure too. Um, I mean, I was in the military for 23 years and I dealt with the structure piece. So I'm my mind is very structured, but I'm so the kind nobody's, of when nobody's looking, you yeah. love chaos. Oh, I love chaos. Chaos <laughs> is wonderful. Um, but I I love to like. I have a very specific process. I take things through, like I come up with an idea, I run with it myself, and then I work myself out of a job and put somebody else in place to do it. Right. Uh, so, consulting um, and delegating. Yeah. Right. So it's just yeah. like, uh, I, 
And I, I rarely get married to anything. And I have a very short term memory when it comes to <laughs> today. If something's bad today, I wake up tomorrow and it doesn't even exist. Yeah. Philip, he's an ENFP. He's one of us. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah. Whatever that see, is. I and what's that interesting is. is I once worked with a company where most of the people, they were largely MBAs from Stanford and Oxford and fancy schools. Um, average age about 28 and they thought they were God's gift to the universe and they couldn't <laughs> understand why when they went into their customers and said this is a mess you got to change everything and do it my way why people didn't love them they were probably mostly ESTJ Phillips since you know the Myers-Briggs yeah yeah and part of the challenge of the training the, and the, the discussions we had was if you're this way and you're dealing with someone who's your polar opposite, how do you have a conversation with them? How do you reach agreements? Mm -hmm. I mean, my husband and I, we've been married 44 years and I, we laugh because every assessment I learned in school, I gave to him to practice and we're always polar opposites. So the good news is we bring different perspectives to the, the room. The other news is it's sometimes harder to get that, that agreement because yeah. we're coming at it from really different places. No, I, I love these kinds of conversations. Uh, I've spoken to many people who do different things. There's this one guy named Gary Sanchez who like had this thing called the Y Institute and he sort of categorizes people in a similar fashion. And if you have a, let's say a, a husband who does things the right way, quote unquote, <laughs> right. And then uh, the, the wife herself does things the better way. She's busy trying to find the ways to make the trip easier to manage. And he's like, no, we need to call them first. They both care about each other, but they can't appreciate each other for what they're doing for each other. And so it becomes this conflict and imagining business is the same thing. So it's clear to me, just based off the way this conversation moved over that what you do really comes from a deep place, a personal place of growth. Also knowing you're an NFP, it's constantly about the other person. And I, I, I love that. So we know that the consulting you do leaves people changed no matter what. I know that much to be true. And so I want to, I want to roll out the red carpet for you. And I want people to know, like, how can they get a hold of you? How can they get in touch with you? Preferably the way you prefer website, social media, et cetera. Uh, the two best ways are the website I've had for a long time, spiroandco.biz, S-P-E-R-O-A-N-D-C-O.biz, B-I-Z. Uh, and the new website for the book, harmonyatwork.biz. And uh, I did a virtual book launch a few weeks ago. And if people go to harmonyatwork.biz, there's a link to watch the, uh, the book launch, which was a great deal of fun with one of my colleagues. And those are probably the best ways to get a hold of me, better than LinkedIn and other social media. Right. Sort of old school like that. I get it. I get it. And so with that said, there's only two things left to do on this, on this uh, show and this conversation. And that is if, uh, before I ask the grand finale, if there were uh, step one, step two that you could leave behind for someone just starting out on their journey, what would that be? Great question, Philip. Um, two things which seem to be opposite, but they're not. And one is to trust yourself, to trust your gut, to trust your intuition. And if you don't have confidence in yourself, figure out what you need to do to build confidence. Especially as an entrepreneur, if you don't have a modicum of confidence 
it's really hard to sell yourself and your business. The flip side of that is to be open to feedback, to be open to help, to be open to surrounding yourself with people that do things that you don't know how to do. Um, so the people that have too much confidence, I sometimes meet people whose confidence exceeds their skill, and they come across as arrogant and impervious, not open to feedback. The people who are always wanting feedback and, and oh, please help me, please help me, telegraph that they don't have a lot of confidence. So it's it's an interesting dichotomy, but you need some confidence. And we all, you know, some days are more confident than others. And a willingness to uh, create a village and people that will tell you the truth. Somebody told me the other day, there are different kinds of friends. The friend that loves you unconditionally, the one that'll tell you the truth, the one that's fun to hang out with. I forget what the other two are, but you need people around you that will lovingly tell you the truth, not rip your face off and tell you you're a terrible human being, but to tell you when you did that, this is how it landed on me or on him. And this is what you need to do differently next time. So those are the two things. Yeah. Ah, rich, rich. This whole conversation has been awesome uh, straight up. And there's only one thing left to do, but before I ask the grand finale, I just want to make sure if there's anything lingering on Jason's mind before we move over to that last one. Yay, May? No, just that uh, I have no idea what an ENFP or whatever that is. So I'll, I'll send you to, some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you'll have to send me something on it's that. It's a good thing. It's a good um, thing. Yeah. It's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and two, my gosh, I'm in Boulder, so we should have coffee sometime. Um, Absolutely. For yes. sure. Definitely. Philip, where are you? Where are I'm you? in Los Angeles. Like, yeah, I know, I know. I'm still trying to yeah. figure out why I still live here. <laughs> so you got to come to Denver and visit. Yeah. Uh, I do. Okay. I do. Yeah. We'll sing together. Yes, karaoke, all of us. <laughs> <laughs> I I would, but that would be the dog howling. <laughs> Right. <laughs> well, see, okay, that's another characteristic of entrepreneurs. They need to know what they're good at and know what they're not good at. <laughs> that's right. I I know what I'm good at and what I'm not good at too. <laughs> oh wow. So does my wife really well. <laughs> our, our, our spouses will tell us absolutely. Oh yeah. yeah. I asked her for a, her opinion and I will get it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a good thing. That's why you're still married. Yeah. <laughs> right on. Um, with that said, the, the, the last question of the day here, Susan, is if we could have invited anybody today to sit here and listen to what we were talking about, maybe even contribute and join, dead or alive, who would you have loved to have had here? And why do you think that is? When you asked me the question before, my, my response was, do I only get to invite one person? Because there'd be so many people that I'd love to sit and have coffee with. And the first person who came to mind was Alan Alda hmm. because nothing related to my work in our work, but he's, he's a very skilled actor. He can be very funny. He can be very serious. And the persona that he's developed since he finished doing MASH and the other things he's done is serious work about the environment and whatever. He's got a cause and he knows how to follow it. And my sense is that he's a, both very bright and has a modicum of confidence, but he's very personable and not full of himself. And it would be really fun to sit and have coffee with him and say, so what do you think helped you succeed? And how did you make your career fun? 
And what was stressful about it? And what advice would you have for people following? I just think he'd be easy to talk to and it would be fun. It would be a fun conversation and, and an interesting conversation. I'd have no idea where, where it was going to go. Oh, wow. No, I can see that. I can see exactly why that would be the invitee. It's funny that that's the first person. I mean, if you gave me 10 minutes, I'd come up with 10 more people, but. <laughs> I'm confident. <laughs> Anyone who's well-read, curious about life, you know, it's, it's going to have a few options in the bag, but I'm, I'm really glad you chose that one because uh, it's, it's that kind of thinking of being able to take something from somewhere else completely unrelated and bring it to script in a room that needed to hear that in a different light that I think is what makes your consulting practice what it is. And so I'm glad that you shared that at the time that you did in the way that you did. Because it just you. brings light to the characteristics necessary for entrepreneurship. It needs that level of creativity. Um, yeah. With that said, uh, that's that's the conversation for today. I can't thank you enough for stopping by the war room. Jason, any thoughts? Yeah, just uh, the, you know, we have 168 hours in a week and you stopped by and you took 30 to 45 minutes to spend with us. You can replace money, homes, cars, all that, but you can't wind back the clock. So thank you very much for your time to stop by and impart your knowledge on us and our audience. Thanks for the opportunity. It was fun. Awesome. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the War Room Roundtable with your hosts, Jason Miller and Philip Lanos. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates. And always remember, if you can dream it and believe it, then you can go achieve it. We'll see you in the next episode.